Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I am Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we are talking to cookbook author J.J. Good. Why are we talking to cookbook author J.J. Good? Because he is very fun, and I think people don't really know what's going on behind the scenes with cookbooks. And we are also going to get into the biggest stories of the week. Uh, we've got a very expensive strawberry and uh, there was a, a pretty funny insult going around by a notable Republican to uh, elite liberals everywhere. Let's get into it. There are a lot of cookbooks coming out now, and JJ is one of those people who's working behind the scenes yeah. to translate the voice and deliver the image of mm-hmm. the trendy restaurant the best chef. Cookbooks more often than not have an author. Mm-hmm. That is not the chef. Yeah. If it's a restaurant chef, because we all have our talents, you know. Yeah. It's very rare that you are an amazing four-star, Michelin-starred chef, and also a very, very excellent writer. But Amanda, I want to tell you exception being Gabrielle Hamilton. Oh, yeah. There's she always an exception. is an excellent writer. Yeah. And a very good chef. No, I was just going to tell you that uh, this is something that might surprise you, but chefs are pretty particular with the way that they want their message conveyed. Mm-hmm. So being the person who is responsible for their voice and their... Uh, oh, yeah. It's a tough job. It's a tough job. I would never do it. I'll just say that right now. Really? JJ's mm-hmm. going to hear this, you know? Yeah, I would never do JJ knows. But now we're going to listen. We're going to talk to JJ and figure out how he bottles up all that talent and uh, <laughs> spreads it on the world. That's a really terrible analogy. <laughs> JJ Good, welcome to Eater's Digest. Thanks for having me. So tell us, JJ, you have a unique job in the world of food. What is it that you do? I write cookbooks for other people. Okay, how did you get into that? I was flailing as a writer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was aspiring to be, in my head at least, I was like, I want to be like a Michael Pollan. It was like right right around the time Michael Pollan came out with one of his many awesome books. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to be that guy. (laughs) <laughs> and then I thought about it for five seconds and I realized I could never be that guy. And I wanted to be you know, one of those like I kind of wanted to be one of those like gallivanty, like discovering some new, yeah. you know, fancy restaurant in Copenhagen guys, except not Copenhagen. Um, and I just that's not me. Um, and I'm I think when you get to a certain point in writing, you are supposed to have an opinion and you're supposed to have take and you're supposed to have a lot of things to say. And I am from New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and I've never been anywhere and I've never lived more than two hours from home. And I realized I don't have that much to say, but, um, chefs and people who might need my help do have something to say and I can help them say it. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) You have nothing to say? No. Oh, I have some things to say now that I've been doing this for like 15 years. Right. Um, mostly fetching, but. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get your first, I don't know, deal, assignment? Crumbs. 
other people's crumbs. Oh, so someone's like, ugh, I can't work with this person. Exactly. Um, it was, <laughs> it was a, it was a Morimoto's first cookbook, which is a funny place to start because it sounds like it was a really fancy cookbook with Quentin Bacon, mm-hmm. and it was like pictures of Morimoto wearing like different kimonos with like giant knives and and raw fish everywhere. Um, and for some reason, I don't quite know what happened, but they were desperate because the writer they had hired might have quit or it was mm-hmm. a disaster or it just wasn't working. And they had like three weeks left to do the project. And they called some people who were much fancier than me and they couldn't do it or wouldn't do it because three weeks left to do that kind of project <laughs> right. was really bad. And so guess who? Guess who was up to the task? Guess yeah. who was an eager beaver? How I was did like, you absolutely? <laughs> how did you put it out there that that might have been something you like that anyone would have actually called you for? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it it wasn't. Um, oh, okay. And when when this person Peter Meehan, mm-hmm. um, who was I think probably working with David Chang at the time on like mm-hmm. a real cookbook, contacted me, he said like I can't do this. Maybe you'd be interested. And I was like, I can't do a cookbook. I don't know how to cook. Uh, like okay. I especially don't know how to cook like, you know, fried sea urchin with caviar. Right. $20 bill sauce. And it was he like said, don't worry, dishes. it's a scam. You don't have to know how to cook. <laughs> well, he did, he did, but minus the scam part. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, I wasn't doing any recipes, so it was, it was, I was possibly remotely qualified to do that, I guess, because it was just writing. Uh, but my next project involved cooking, or at least translating recipes um, for home cooks, which, yeah, as you said, I thought I couldn't do, because I am a bad cook. I'm not trained. I am also clumsy, and scared of everything and I think everything's going to explode and or right. kill me um, but it turns out that That's most people advantage. are like that yeah. and chefs don't need someone who's like oh did you did you burn the brunoise there chef <laughs> they need someone who's going to be like those are small pieces do you have to do small right. pieces like that <laughs> so. so Peter Mian called you and you were like funny enough I just decided that I independently don't have anything I want to say no, I was open to anything this was like I was just give, give, it, give it all to me um, I don't know if I was, fr- I think I was, I was freelancing at the time. I had one job in my life was at Epicurious.com yeah. like 26 years ago. Um, and I either had just left that job to try to freelance and I was freelancing and failing, um, writing like one story every like, you know, mm-hmm. five months about <laughs> <laughs> who knows what. And I was eager for work. Uh, so I was like, sure, I'll do it. And I asked questions later. How did you do it? The Morimoto book? Um, it was an interesting project. Um, I didn't get that much contact with him for that project, probably because he was tired of dealing with this other writer. And I had to, you know, spin a very small amount of information into a very long Hmm. book. (laughs) So you did Um, some extrapolating? But it was a good, it was actually a good lesson um, because, you know, if, if I, if my first project was some like magical romantic project, um, where I'm like learning every day and um, learning how to cook, you know, northern Thai food and and traveling to Thailand and watching people make it and helping the sh- working like hand in hand with the mm-hmm. chef translating stuff. I might have been under the impression that all cookbooks are magical. Be all downhill from there. Um, but it was all uphill or sort of up and down, <laughs> up and down. But in the yeah. beginning, I was like, oh, cookbooks are crazy. Like cookbooks are a disaster. Like everything else is a disaster until you finally get it together and it isn't a disaster anymore. How much is writing and how much is recipe focused? Because I initially assumed it was you're just like developing recipes and testing recipes, but it's not that. I think some projects it is. Mm-hmm. I think some projects are more like someone has a an idea and they're like, 100 recipes, 
and the the writing is more or less introducing the recipes and mm-hmm. writing an introduction. But I'm t- I tend to be uh, attracted to the projects that are like a little more narrative, or there's like a story, or there's like a culture to explain, or there's like a personal story to explain. So I really like I like the writing part a lot. The recipe part is like a different part of your brain, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's also like it appeals to like the OCD part of me. I'm like, oh, that's a, you know, it's just like you have to be really precise and you have to make sure that dummies can follow the instructions. It's easy for someone to explain, say, how to like fold dumplings if they're just folding them in front of you. They're like, look, you do this. You fold them in half. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I see. The corner touches the other corner. But when you try to explain it in writing, it's the most complicated thing in the world. You're like, fold rightmost corner onto left corner, (laughs) making a isosceles triangle. It's like (laughs) really technical. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do was teach my brother over the phone <laughs> how to use a credit card to break into my old apartment. <laughs> was not expecting that? Okay. Yeah. So what was the, what's the recipe? What, I don't know. A lot of folding. Honestly, it's a lot of folding. It's a lot of but like but you gotta, angle of hand angle yeah. and stuff. Yeah. That's exactly what I do. It's I basically just like do that. JJ's it's job. It's just like JJ. So at what point, and maybe this is just ignorance, but at, like, at what point do you feel like um, cookbooks evolved where – Having Morimoto, Morimoto's new book with JJ Good as like the second name there was actually a thing that people were excited about rather than just like the Morimoto book was obviously written just by Morimoto and someone like you would work totally in the background. I think. No one has ever been excited to see my name in a cookbook except maybe my father. <laughs> well, and you've just gotten because, better at negotiating. Yeah. I don't know. I, I no, but I feel like now I'm excited to have to see some famous person's book. Written with someone that I know is actually going to do think, a good job at writing. Yeah, that's right. true. I that's think true. A, I think there's something to say for that. I don't know if if somebody was an amazing talent, Us? Kanye. Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> He's extremely talented as a musician, mm-hmm. but like kind of like out, uh, a little crazy as a cookbook. Author. As a cookbook. Author. <laughs> yeah. oh, those recipes would be so crazy. Uh, <laughs> Jesus cooks. I don't know, um, but. You 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 know you don't you imagine that Kanye can m- write a song, but he can't necessarily write his memoir. Mm-hmm. So if you were to see like a famous music journalist on that cover, you'd be like, oh, this is going to be really well written, and it's going to be Kanye's story told by someone who can get it out of him and make it really exciting and dramatic. Right. Um, I guess that's true with cookbooks too. Although I think it kind of breaks the illusion sometimes because cookbooks are so intimate. There are plenty of projects where I am not allowed to be on the cover or that not allowed, just I don't end up yeah, on the cover. Yeah, what's the range? There's some where your name totally. isn't in there? Yeah, totally. And it's it's uh I think it's I think it's totally fine. Like I like the illusion. If you know, I'm sure politicians use ghostwriters. Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. writes her books but with her staff. Mm-hmm. But no, I think it's uh I think it's a it's it's feels nice when the chef's like, Hey, you should be on the cover because I grateful yeah. and you you we worked so hard on this and mm-hmm. you should get credit i feel like that is when it's exciting and i'm like absolutely i would love to be that i'm i'm so proud of this i would love to be on the cover but if someone was like hey it kind of breaks the illusion when i'm trying to tell stories and some doofus, i don't want anyone to know neutral, yeah <laughs> it just it just breaks the illusion i'm okay with that illusion you know yeah mm-hmm. what are the things you're editing out from a swear chef's words. vision swear words. and like a chef's nowadays recipe. swear words nobody wants swear words anymore swear oh, words yeah. are over in their books yeah but they did at one point I think it was cool for a while. Okay. Now they're like, eh. <laughs> I want my mom to read this. But like, All are right. there fancy techniques that they're trying to do? And you're like, Andy Ricker, let's not. Uh, well, Andy, no. Do not say no to Andy Ricker. <laughs> uh, no, but he, he make, Never he, say no to Andy Ricker. The reason you don't say no to Andy Ricker is because he is so thoughtful that he's already thought about why you might be saying, can we not do that? And he's like, well, 
No, this is what mm-hmm. they do when they're making this particular dish. And the chef at Pak Pak, by the way. Chef at Pak Pak. Um, you know, his, his book is about communicating how he makes food at his restaurant, which is very, very close to how the dish would be made in Thailand. And so part of the reading the recipes is showing you how people make food in that country. Um, whereas Alinea, it's, I guess it's a little different. It's cool to see how they make the food, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not that I ever want to do it. But it's also, it's a learning. You know, you learn when you, when you read those recipes, even if you don't ever cook from them. Are there any, um, all right, so let's say Alinea, for sake of argument, or some very, like, precious chef yes. comes to you and you guys decide that you're, you're going to work on the book together. Are, are there some ground rules that you'll lay out on day one and be like, hey, these are things that I'm telling you right away you're not going to get to have in the book? No, it's, it's, it depends. It's more of a conversation, um, whether I come to the book when it's already sold to a publisher um, or if I'm writing the proposal. And I'll basically say, like, what kind of book do you want to do? And if they want to do, as just to use Andy, the example of Andy again, um, I approached him in, like, 2006 or something. I went to a wedding in Portland. I, like, begged him to have a cup of coffee with me. <laughs> and I was like, you ever talk, think about doing a book? And he's like, yes. I was like, we should do a book. You could want it to be, like, for, like, easy tie, one, two, three, right? He's like, no. It's like, but you want it to be, like, pock, pock, like, at home, though. No. It's like, okay. Like, after a while, I got the impression that he wanted it to be a book that was hard mm-hmm. to cook from because he wanted to show how hard Thai food is to make and how much effort you need to do, especially in the West, to make it good. And so we sold that idea. We like, I was like, okay, how are we going to frame that to a publisher to make it exciting um, rather than trying to change, tr- change the idea to make it more home cook friendly? And then once you sell it to, once you convince a publisher, the poor publisher, that this is this is a good idea, then you have free range to to. I was like, you know, we sold you a book that said you have to chop a piece of meat for forty five minutes with a giant cleaver. So <laughs> no one's surprised when you see the thing. That and says, that's what that book ended up being. And that's what it, yeah. There's a recipe that says clear your schedule for the next forty five minutes, and you chop meat with a cleaver <laughs> until it's really finely minced, and then you immerse your hand in a bowl of raw blood with some lemongrass and you scrunch it for a while. <laughs> That's just like two of the many steps of this res- recipe. Oh but it's God, like the I most amazing, it. like you don't have to cook from, you don't, ne- I've never made that recipe. The tester has and I've eaten it. Um, <laughs> but I, I haven't cooked from that recipe but I read it because it's awesome and this is how food is made and it's amazing to see how it's made. Can you talk about some of the other projects you've worked on? Like Andy Ricker and the very, very hard Thai food cookbook. It's probably a different end of a spectrum from some of the other things you've done. Like, what was it like doing Salt and Straw? Salt and Straw, yeah. Salt and Straw was different for a lot of reasons. For one, it's ice cream, and I don't know how to make ice cream, <laughs> so I got to learn a lot about ice cream. I wasn't even I wasn't even particularly interested in ice cream before I met Tyler. Um, I met him, and he was so compelling. I was like, ice cream, some ice cream, and he, he, I talked to him for like five minutes, and I was like, I want to make an ice cream cookbook with you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so it was it was it was actually fun and I think uh, helped the book for me to be like learning not that I wasn't learning on the job with with every book especially like the Pak Pak book but um, to be like excited and surprised because I think then that book then could appeal to someone who might not be interested in ice cream because my excitement is like evident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've worked on other books where where the the mandate is to make food really um, easy to cook. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult, um, you know, even if the chef is into it. Sometimes the chef's not into it, but the publisher really wants it. So I'm left sort of... You're the in-between? I'm the in-between, and I have to make the argument that 
this is why we have this is why we have to make this easier. And then occasionally a chef will push back and say, you know, it's easy, but now we're sacrificing what the dish is. And then I, I have to argue mm-hmm. on the chef's behalf, and I have to argue on the publisher's behalf, which is kind of fun actually, because mm-hmm. um, it helps you think through all this stuff. But yeah, I think I I'm good at that part of it at taking a chef's recipe and making it accessible because I'm just so lazy and I'm so in touch with my like angst about like oh my god I don't really want to do that I want to make this dish so bad and I and know there's way that too many steps I know that fucking crumbly topping is not necessary I mm-hmm. just know it I just know that's something you do at the restaurant because you have the crumbles here and the other thing there and it's so easy to throw it on at the end of the dish or to throw on the three types of herbs because it looks beautiful on the picture but like no one wants to no one wants to get like no all those herbs stuff, yeah. guys Mm-hmm. Just one herb. Let's stick with one herb. <laughs> How does your relationship with a chef evolve over the process of putting a book together? Is it more <laughs> tense at first? <laughs> like, who aren't you speaking to anymore? Uh, I speak, I have a great relationship with all of my, well, most of my chefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anything has ended in, there's no like end in tears, would never see that person again. You get really close to people. Um, I think to write for someone and like in their voice and to like really give it your all, you have to kind of fall in love with the person a little even if they're not your type Mm. Um, because otherwise it's impossible to motivate like it's a huge project it's a year a year and a half it's really intense it's their you know their dream they're not making a ton of money from it it's like it ends up usually being like a wash for them in terms of money they get money from the publisher and they between my giant fee and (laughs) the photographer's fee and the stylist and the expenses Mm -hmm. the testing it's like they rarely make money off of it they're doing it because they really want to do it. And that's actually what I ask now when I am like interviewing a chef or hoping that I can start working with a chef or a chef asks me if I want to work with on him on a book with him or her um, or them. I ask like, what if this book, what if one person buys this, this book? Like what if, what if a publisher gives you just enough to make the book and three people buy it and it's not, it doesn't, it's just, you just get this book and you just get to like hold it and you get to like give it to your sister or something. If they are, if they still want to do the cookbook, then I want to work on the cookbook. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's sort of like cynical, if it feels cynical, then it's just, it's just not fun. And it's, it's, and the disappointments that inevitably happen are just going to be too much. It's got to be, it's got to be a labor of love. What happens when you meet a chef, you're talking about a book and you're just like, you are not for me. I have a little roster of of people who are just like kind people who have given me projects that they aren't interested in or Mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of it's a really nice industry in that way and my little part of it at least it feels Mm. really generous it doesn't feel like oh I'm up against such and such for such and such job do you hear about a deal though and you're like duh no I feel like I I hear about a like a big seller and I'll be like ooh Uh, if I only had a chance mm -hmm. to, to to be in Chrissy Teigen's arms or something. Right, like that. right, right. Um, oh, so it's not like you go to a restaurant and just love the food and you'd be like, ah, oh, I really want this one. No, no. <laughs> the the pop like, one was as close, as close as I got to that feeling. Like, I really want this. Mm-hmm. It just felt well, like Well, yeah, you project. like pursued him. Yeah. You wooed him. Yeah, I wooed him. But, How has the industry changed over the last 15 years? Ugh, it's gross. <laughs> I mean, I'm sad about it. Um, it's hard. <laughs> but actually, I'd say, I don't know about the last 15 years. Um, but the last like few years, there's been a big shift away from restaurant books. Okay. Um, not necessarily and away toward from, and toward books meant for home cooks. Mm. Um, mm, okay, so away from those coffee table, yeah, type books. Yeah, and of course there are always books for home cooks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but they have like a new, there's new excitement around them, I think. Um, and there's less, um, I think publishers are less sure that a book about a restaurant is going to sell anything close to what it used to. And they're not buying as many of those types of books, which has made it challenging for me. The, the people who are being, are writing these great books right now, like, you know, Alison Roman and Samin, and they don't need me. Mm-hmm. They are me, but better. Yeah. They don't need like, they're going to hire me to what? Like clean up after them, <laughs> you know? So, with JJ Good, with JJ Good. <laughs> on janitorial duties. <laughs> yeah, plus boy. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I need to find my place um, and it's a struggle. Are there are there new areas that you're looking to in terms of translating people's visions into a cookbook? Yeah. I think publishers at least are looking for people with uh, uh, built-in audiences. Um, and as someone who has a Hotmail uh, email address <laughs> and is yeah. not on social media, this is a foreign thing to me, like social media followings. But I can Google stuff and I can look on social media and right. I have located – identified some people with very large followings who do things like butt exercises and like post pictures of their butts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and those people maybe want to do a book one day. Right. And I have no qualms in, so you in don't trying care. to convince them. You're not like uh, only fancy restaurant no, chefs. No. Oh, no. Really? I do. I, you I would mean, do a book called like Mush for the Tush? That is an amazing title. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, Mush for the Tush is great. That's, that's a free that's idea a, for you. Um, no, I, I, I am... Open to any project. Open to diversifying. Yes. I but mean, I love uh, the chefs. The, the chefs are the or the, right. or the people, not chefs, I shouldn't say, like people who are, are really into cooking. Obviously, someone's really into yeah. cooking. I want mm-hmm. them to cook with me and for me and I want to eat it and I want to share. Right. It's awesome. I want like you to be able to make it, too. But isn't part of the excitement that you are translating like talented food makers like you are the internalizing that and, and translating into something that is digestible like isn't it wouldn't it be less exciting to work with, with the model yes yeah I mean if it were because those projects can be again it would be about finding the right project so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like hey you're a butt model right you want to do some healthy recipes cool we'll hire like eight recipe developers and like we'll write the book you will never have to even do anything and it, it'll just be like a book with you on the cover mm-hmm. like that it wouldn't be fun but if it was someone like there it might crush though it might it do might, really, it would yeah. it would definitely crush <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you actually, want to find someone who actually wants to do this yeah. they just haven't been approached yet because yeah. they're not in the right circles yeah. people have i like stories i like people i like my favorite part about it is obviously like there's food and there's fun and there's mm-hmm. eating but it's people i like people i like being around people i like learning about them like all the chefs you end up so you am spending so much time with them. You would learn all sorts of weird stuff, like not creepy weird stuff, but like they're, you know, they're, we're working on like a recipe and yeah. then like someone's like, like partner gets sick or someone has a baby or so like there's, mm-hmm. it's an, it's inevitable that you like learn about who they are as people. Um, you go to their, their, you're in such and such city. They're like, come stay at my house. You meet their kids. Like it's, it's really cool. nice. It becomes yeah. like a, a little like family situation. And if I can, you know, create a family with a butt model, my <laughs> wife, my, if my wife doesn't mind, you know. But what, what about getting people to, I mean, you know, we interview chefs uh, on occasion and some people are easier to get to open up than others. Oh, yeah. Do you have, do you have some tricks that you use? Like I heard once that, that what you want to do is get people cooking and, yeah, and then totally. ask them the same totally. question. Totally. Yeah. That's great. That's a great advice. I would say, I mean, it's harder for you guys because I, 
develop I am able to because the projects are so long term I develop the relationships mm-hmm. over like six months and maybe a year and maybe in the beginning they're super like playing mm-hmm. everything close to the chest and then after a while they're just like oh this this little doofus is still around All right. <laughs> they know? start to trust you and also it's why like, are you still here why are you still here <laughs> fine I'll tell you a story about so it's like and it's also less adversarial than not that you're you're like trying to like break news mm-hmm. and like what did you do on but July you're 25th? their advocate yeah you you know it's so I'm on their side I sometimes I used to when I was like early on in writing I was like PR why would anyone do PR I basically do PR mm-hmm. like I believe in very elaborate people, PR. very elaborate PR it's a, I make a large pamphlet mm-hmm. by the end of it <laughs> and I advocate for them and I try to steer them away from a story that puts them in a bad light because mm-hmm. it's like you don't have to say it like that. It's sure. a good story. You you can mm-hmm. present it like this, and this is actually not your best dish. This is your this is. Why don't you why don't we do this? It's like, brand, I don't know. Like if I were savvier, I could like make a weird CV where I'm like brand manager or something. <laughs> like that. But um, but 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 yeah, getting them cooking is. I mean, you can. I've sat with April Bloomfield and been like, what's special about this dish? And she's like, I love carrots, mate. It's just nice with the carrots. And you're like, what? Right. That's <laughs> You're like what, no, that, no, no, but really, yeah. Come like, on. what's special about it? And then she starts cooking, and like she's doing all this stuff, and you're like, why are you doing that? She's like, oh, you have to do that to get out this, and oh, I love when you tip the pan, and the like. She like used to do this thing where like there was garlic cloves in a pan, and she would like tip the pan so the oil would kind of like deep fry the garlic. And I was like, why are you doing that? She's like, I, I just like it. Right. Like cooking was fun, and like every moment was like exciting, mm-hmm. and it was a big difference from sitting someone down and, and asking them questions. That's not how. You know, they're not like professional mm-hmm. office drones the way we are. <laughs> you know, like we are we're used to being like sit down, get task done, mm-hmm. like answer emails, update the Google Doc. And they're like, I don't know, I'm cooking something tonight. Like you want right. to watch me cook it. And that's how you get the best info from them. Well, JJ, thank you so much for coming. This is really fun. Yeah. Can I come back? Come back anytime. Yeah. Yes. We'll be right back with the biggest stories of the week. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Amanda, it is time in the show where we run through the biggest, most important food stories of the week. We separate them all with the sound of a ding like this. What else to say right now besides, you know, let's dive right in. There was a rally last week in Louisiana for President Trump and Senator John Neely Kennedy, who is a Republican from mm-hmm. Louisiana, uh, was giving an introduction. He said, I stand before you tonight a proud deplorable. Cool. Unlike some of the folks in Washington, D.C., I'm talking about the, quote, cultured, cosmopolitan, goat's milk, latte drinking, avocado toast eating, mm. insiders elite, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny that he said goat's milk latte mm-hmm. as kind of like owning the the liberals. Yeah. Like what what's your take? Does that really exemplify an elite <laughs> person in this day and age? I mean, I have so many opinions on this. First of all, it's not a bad shot. I, I don't I don't I respect the shot. It's a solid jab. 
You think so? Goat milk latte? Yeah. I've never had a goat. Like, I am. Obviously. I'm going to say I'm an elitist liberal person. You're exactly who he's. He, who he's I'm who he's talking about. You're the target. Never. I, do you think he meant oat milk latte? Not impossible. Didn't oat, even consider that. Oat milk latte yeah. would be good. Right. Because it's like, yeah, you got us. I know, but there We're is something to be. replacing all of our be, milk with oat milk. <laughs> but there's something to be said for the for hitting the next wave before it even happens. Oh, you think goat milk is, is a coming? Well, goat milk at I one point. I don't think he's like goat butter, goat butter was a thing for a bit. Because of the interest in driving grass fed, like goat butter is supposed to have more nutrients. Was goat milk ever really a thing? But what are we hitting him here for? Because I think as a shot. Inaccuracy of the insult. I well, but I think looking a step ahead and extrapolating Uh is, is in my opinion, can be a, a good insult. I don't think that's what he's doing. So you th- I mean, if he flubbed it, which I didn't even think about, if he meant to say oat milk. I don't think he meant to say oat milk. I just think he So should've. you think he thinks that, that liberals drink goat milk? Yeah. Yeah. Then, I mean, that's funny in of itself yeah. that he would get that wrong. Right? There's because someone, I think it was Kat Kinsman who tweeted, like, the only person I know who has goat milk on a regular basis is goat farmer. But how elite liberal is it to be like, actually, we drink oat milk? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I mean, he's trolling us. Like, we're like, no, no, no. Yeah. It's the $7 oat milk latte. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, listen, he doesn't have his shit right because Mm -hmm. oat milk or goat milk is not the same person as the avocado toast person. It could be. I could see someone. If we're looking at a huge general category. Yeah. I mean, the thing but is, we're both oat of them, milk like, people and not avocado toast people. We are, but I mean, no, I've had avocado toast. Of course, toast. but I wouldn't. But that's why you can't hit something that's like, like an insult to a kid could mm-hmm. not be like, go listen to One Direction. They have avocado toast at the like cheesesteak factory, you know? That's why I'm saying that avocado toast is not the same level of insult as. I think they're both pretty widespread. We should let's come up with a what's a better I just what's okay. a better elitist jab? Um besides oat milk latte, because I think that's that's pretty good. Okay, yeah. So yeah. it's a win. I mean it's definitely a goat oat, milk. Oat. This is our oat. okay. I we're happy to move I think on. It's very but specific. That like elitists will drink the oat. So milk. even if it was okay, accepting that it might have been an accident, if it was intentional, goat milk to me is I think it was intentional, yeah. Well, if it was intentional, if he knew that that liberals, elite liberals, weren't actually drinking goat milk and he was just being like, what's next, goat milk, Mm. then I think it's a good chirp, as we would say in Canada. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Good chirp. A good chirp. (laughs) Okay. Uh I mean, yoga is pretty good. But that's pretty. That's past its prime already. Food wise, all right. I'm Yoga, gonna take this back. Pilates. I think Pilates is a good one. Mm-hmm. Vegan. Yeah. Vegan implies gluten, elitism. Gluten, gluten free gluten was free. A, yeah, it was a big one for a bit. Keto. All those fad diets, I think, feel pretty I, okay. elitist. Yeah, but keto, keto, keto sees no political colors. Keto is across. Keto is not a liberal thing. Keto is all over America. Uh-huh. And it's not a rich person thing. It's a no. I don't think so. I think it comes from. It's just a self improvement thing. It's not. A, mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's no. There's no idealism in keto. Mm-hmm. All of these nut milks have a tinge of idealism or you know ide- ideology, which is sure. On Keto's keto, just you're like slamming animals. Uh huh. You're killing animals yourself. There's yeah. nothing. Nothing more. 
just red like blooded than that. Raw meat and sweet potatoes mm-hmm. and put it in a blender. Okay. Yeah, alive, living cow mm-hmm. bites. <laughs> um, what is a good? This is such a great question. Actually, maybe his is pretty good. That's what I'm saying. We are joined in the studio by Serena Dye, editor of Eater New York, to talk us through a very expensive strawberry. Oh, my God. So I'm obsessed with this strawberry. (laughs) Uh, So in America, we don't have as much of a high-end fruit culture as they do in Japan. So in Japan, they have a lot of luxury fruits. Some of them sell for thousands and thousands of dollars on auctions and stuff. And so you have this guy here who decided he wanted to study high-end fruit. And so he's Japanese. And he -hmm. he studied it for like 10 years. And then Japan? Back in, in Japan, and he Studied went for ten years. <laughs> Japan, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, um, he on and on. You know, he's back and forth doing this research. He came. He teamed up with someone. He built an indoor vertical farm in New Jersey based on the vertical farms that they have in Japan to deal with their high end fruit. Mm-hmm. The farm has the perfect conditions uh, to match this like valley by this mountain Japan where mm. they grow really great strawberries, and uh, so he's produced this strawberry. It's available year round. And all these high-end shafts in New York are like, this is the best strawberry. Nah. Is he going outside New York, too? If I'm in L.A., can I get the strawberry? Well, no, you have to. They, they like, hand-deliver it. How much are they? They hand-deliver it. Day so you have to, what about New Jersey? I think probably New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. if I want to buy it retail, <laughs> I have to go to this guy's farm in New Jersey? Or he, is there a store here? How well, about he, Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> he is doing this special thing where you you pay $50 and you get a box of eight strawberries and they will deliver it to a pickup location in, yeah. in, in wow. uh, the Oculus and you can go and get and then someone will like explain to you the philosophy of the strawberry. Oh no. Can I pay extra to not have that? <laughs> 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 you can probably just run like grab your strawberry. Thanks, bye, bye, bye. Um, yeah, but apparently it's extra creamy. "Quote unquote, remarkably creamy, yeah, mm. extra sweet, like allegedly sweeter than other strawberries. I have not tried it. I can't speak to that. What, what's strawberries the size are sweet of strawberry? enough, frankly. But go on. Well, okay. Here's the thing about strawberries. Why it is such a big deal is because strawberries have a very small window yeah. in the Northeast where they're going to be good, um, and they also are mostly delivered from California and Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so the transit portion. If you've ever had a strawberry, they're very delicate, and mm-hmm. so are very susceptible to bruising and. Um, getting misshapen, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know what? For how like notable strawberries are in the world of fruit, you actually like I feel like I don't eat many strawberries per year. Like they're almost they're almost more rare than I think we give them credit for. You know, like how often are you eating strawberries at a restaurant? Not frequently. Yeah, I mean it could be a really great, uh, unique gift for somebody. For or the person who has everything. Get them fifty dollars the strawberries. Berry. Yeah, the yeah. omakase berry. Ugh. that's what it's called, right? The omakase oh, berry. It's called the omakase berry. It's yes. very, it's very good branding. Yeah. He's, he's done a good job. Well, he he said he wanted to do New York because there are so many high end chefs here, and yeah. he, so he targeted chefs first, and mm-hmm. so it's like Chef's Table, at Sushi Ginza Ondera, Adomix has used it. So mm-hmm. all these places that have Michelin stars. And what is his expansion plan? You know what I personally could foresee if mm. I looked in my little mm-hmm. crystal ball. Copycat farmer copycats or maybe he could license that mm. pharma or he could teach mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, I think because 
the freshness is such a core component of this yeah. is and that the explanation and the explanation is We're that deprived here in LA they're probably like our strawberries are great all year round what are you, yeah. about? <laughs> you idiots yeah yeah um, but maybe we've these had vertical... the omakase berry for a while mm-hmm. now right? yeah <laughs> but maybe the, the like the the model of having a vertical farm like there isn't that much of a mm-hmm. culture of mm-hmm. luxury fruit here so if this is like the first step in people becoming obsessed with luxury fruit mm-hmm. I'm into that uh, in in the studio, I'm joined by Adam Musa, who is our senior 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 social media. That's correct. Senior, senior social, social media, media and I would say that you are our resident uh, online person, terminally uh, online, terminally online. And we are going to talk about two very prominent food things that have come up on social media in the last couple days. The founder of Papa John's, Mr. John Schnatter, was interviewed on WDRB, which is uh, a a news station in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, For those who don't know, he was uh, on a conference call, I think a few months ago, and used the N-word, and it turned out the call was public, and he believed it was just an internal call. Yeah, well, he he said he used it in the context of- Saying uh, what people shouldn't do. Yeah, uh, he (laughs) said it was a role-playing exercise. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like he thinks he was set up to fail by Papa John's. He's been quiet since since being ousted from his company, but uh, you know what? He makes a glorious return to WDRB News. And before we get into this, I want to say as uh, they didn't do him any favors with the lighting on this video. Even on the uh, – they wrote this up on their site and their hero image for this, his – his face is half in shadow. It's, yeah. And they they were in charge of the lighting here. They really, really did him dirty on this. All right, let's just get into it. It was the controversy that ousted the papa of pizza. Looking back now, do you think that you were set up? Oh, there's no question about it. And, and the public knows that. Um, this is all a farce. This is John Schneider's side of the story, and it's loaded. Nothing sells like the truth. And the truth, sooner or later, all comes out. For the first time, Um, Schneider is talking publicly about the firestorm that forced him to walk away from the company he built into one of the nation's largest pizza chains. They made this all up. They fabricated it. And shame on them. It all started in May of 2018. Schneider admits he used the N-word during what was supposed to be an internal conference call on diversity training, but says he did it to convey his hatred of racism. He says insiders use that as an opportunity to push him out. I just didn't know it would happen from people on the inside doing this. I thought it would come from the outside. And he's willing to name names. Steve Ritchie, Olivia Curley, the board of directors, all used the black community and race as a way to steal the company. And they stole the company and now they've destroyed the company. I love how in-depth this gets into like their chain of command. Aside from the McDonald's president being uh, ousted recently, could you say who was in charge of Popeye's, in charge of KFC? No, you don't really know many of these names. Livy Curtley and Mark Shapiro should be in jail. Ooh. It's that bad. What they've done is just wrong. And they've hurt a lot of people. That's spicy. The new CEO is former Arby's president, Rob Lynch. Rob Lynch, um, he's never been a CEO. Mm. He has no pizza experience. He's never been in the pizza category. <laughs> he doesn't really have a passion for quality. And probably most important, he doesn't have a passion mm. for people. Or diversity. Schneider says it's ultimately the customers 
were left with a bad taste in their mouths. I've had over 40 pizzas in the last 30 days, and it's not the same pizza. It's not the same product. It just doesn't taste as good. The way they're making the pizza, the way they're putting the pizza together is just not fundamentally sound to what makes a Papa John's pizza a Papa John's pizza. I mean, obviously, the, the crucial part of this interview is the fact that this man has just admitted to having 40 Papa John's pizzas in the last in the last 30 days. It's hard to watch this. Um, <laughs> I mean, every single thing you can it. possibly do wrong. He doesn't want to go back, but he's still consistently eating pizza. Like he's this he's is... unemployed. What else does he have to do? <laughs> just... If 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 your entire life was this yeah. pizza chain, this pizza chain, and also like casual racism, uh, if that's your entire life, right. and you only got so many right. hours in the day to be casually racist, yeah, uh, all you want to do is check in on your pizza baby. And so what... Schnatter's doing two things right now. He's eating Papa John's pizza and trying to set up diversity training phone calls with friends and stuff like that. <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next online thing. There was a tweet this weekend that went extremely viral. Could you explain what happened? I'm going to try and unpack this a little bit. Uh, basically, on Twitter, there is this thing called a prompt tweet where you prompt people to give an answer to a set of criteria. So the tweet asked for your most controversial food opinion. Um, and this guy named Tom Nichols... Uh, who is an opinion columnist, Yeah, <laughs> tweeted, Indian food is terrible and we pretend it isn't. Mm. That's his controversial food opinion. Mm -hmm. Now, by the, by, by the medium in which it's being expressed, there's obviously something in there where this man is like, this is a funny joke. I'm being funny here. Right. Obviously, it's very short-sighted. It's, it's dumb. And there's, there's so much to unpack with what's wrong with this, chiefly being that you know, this joke is not some original thought he's had. Uh, Indian people have had to deal with this forever. It's it's they've had to deal with white people saying your right. food is disgusting right. and dismissing uh, the food that they have grown up eating because it it is spiced a certain way or, or whatever. They mm -hmm. uh, it's ridiculous as a, a person whose cuisine does not belong to this like very narrow American for uh, sure like. American food definition, uh, it's, yeah. it's exhausting to be like, no, actually, my food is not disgusting. It's delicious and I love it. The reason I feel like that this was such a powder keg is because I think what is unique about Indian food is I would say that it is the most popular, quote unquote, ethnic food in America that is the most polarizing. Yeah, it's so an, a it's lot an easy of people target. really don't like it. I think anytime you say somebody's food is bad, that's stupid because everyone from that place, like, probably most people like it and if they didn't like it they would just change it like as a country if india did not like indian food they would make different food yeah. so it's like it's impossible that it's bad you can't tell someone your taste is wrong so this was like a hellfire online yeah right? so obviously this man gets ratioed so he has ratioed all of these by the way yep. means when more people respond than like it so it's like it is the sign of a controversial thing thank you to you for teaching me that about two years ago a huge part of of the anger around this, as I said, is about people feeling they need to once again go and defend something that shouldn't have to be defended. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to where you shouldn't have to if if you are a non-Indian person prove your like justify your liking of this cuisine. And if you are an Indian person, you certainly shouldn't have to justify the food that is native to your culture. Like it's it's so ridiculous, and you get this kind of 
like vitriol towards this guy who puts people in that position. There are some people who were very polite and tried to, uh, you know, unpack why that was wrong and give this man a lesson. He didn't learn from anything that he was told Mm -hmm. because what followed this whole firestorm over the weekend, (laughs) uh, published on uh, on the the Tuesday after the weekend, the 26th, is uh, an op-ed in USA Today mm-hmm. that he wrote. Saying the internet got mad at me? Yeah, it's, he just kept doubling down and saying more dumb shit. I was really hoping the op-ed was just going to be listing all of the most famous Indian dishes and him explaining why they were bad. Oh my God, that'd be, I, I would <laughs> I would personally love to hear this man explain like why he dislikes. Sag paneer. Yeah, it's Sag like, paneer. Uh, terrible. I tried non once. It was yeah. not to my taste. Spinach Too no fluffy. longer has any integrity. Right. Um, <laughs> so the headline on this thing on the USA Today uh, site was, I tweeted that I couldn't stand Indian cuisine and started an international food fight. Mm-hmm. He then goes on to describe us as Planet Seinfeld, which is... Being online is yeah. is a whole bunch of people arguing about nothing okay. is, is, uh, is the, the term he's trying to sure. coin yeah. for this. That's kind of encapsulating the entire thing here, that he thinks this is nothing. He has not taken on any of the level-headed criticisms sent his way. In his view, everybody is just overly sensitive and out to get him because he made a joke. He acknowledges that people thought it was racist, but he does not see how it could possibly be considered racist. Also, I would be remiss not to point out that, like, towards the end of this piece, he actually references 1984, Mm. which, like, if you have to invoke George Orwell and doublespeak and totalitarian states as, like, a defense for your being ratioed... Right. You're on the wrong side. I, I, I can't help you. That's fair. There was only one controversial food opinion, and that's... Uh, thinking that you have the right to dictate what other people do and don't like. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eater's Digest. Please, if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, email us at digestateater.com. Also, please tell a friend if you like the show. Special thanks to JJ Good, our wonderful guest today, and to our producer, Martha Daniel. That's everything, I guess. I don't have anything to add to that. Great. Thanks, Dan. Sign off, Anara. It's a combination of sign-off and sayonara.